Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. The All-Star break is now in the rearview mirror, and I wanted to talk with somebody who I was happy enough to see in person, my old Real GM colleague currently of The Ringer, Jonathan Charks. Great writer, has a, a good league-wide perspective, and that's really what I wanted to do. This is not a true tears podcast that we get into a lot of that kind of stuff. It, it goes in different directions. I, I really enjoyed it. Start out with the East and go through the top teams. And kind of that's also where when we get to the bottom of the East, where we talk about the massive tanking situation, which is going to be there. And then we go through the West in kind of similar detail and the top, what teams are competitive, what teams are relevant. And also, of course, what storylines we're going to look at the rest of the season. And for those of you who've listened to the conversations I've had with Jonathan over the years, you'll know that it gets in some interesting directions. We talk about the future of the center position, little bit of draft stuff as well. Conversation runs about an hour and is brought to you by our friends at BetDSI, returning sponsor and home of the million dollar bracket challenge, which is really excited as the NCAA tournament gets closer. And then TrueCar, you can check check out TrueCar as well. So the podcast, as I said, it runs about an hour, goes on a lot of different topics. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey man, how you doing? Doing well. It was good to see you at, at All-Star, and while it is not necessarily the greatest competition, let's call it, it's a, it's a great way to see people again, and so I'm thankful for that at, at the very least, and of course, some real nice weather. Yeah, I'm back in Dallas now. It's 33 degrees. It's a harsh slap of reality. <laughs> so this is mostly going to focus on kind of what we're looking for the rest of the season. We're recording this a couple hours before games start on Thursday, so right after the All-Star break, and... I'm going to give you the choice of whether you'd rather start with the West or start with the East, because I think we'll kind of break the conversation in two. Uh, let's go East. To me, the East is a little more interesting. It is. And so one of the kind of the ways that I was thinking about framing this that I've been pretty fascinated with is that, so Cleveland is, at this point, they're three games behind the Celtics in the loss column and six behind in the win column. And I, I so that leads to different things. And, and for me, so I think the place to start is, would you expect, because of course there's random chance in all this, I'm treating Cleveland as kind of outside of the top two right now, but do you think that's a fair assumption? I mean, they're definitely outside number one. I think Toronto's pretty safe where they are. The way Boston's been playing, like, when does Smart come back? I haven't heard a specific date, but uh, I think it'll be relatively soon. I think Cleveland maybe. I think it's probably more about Boston, because we know Cleveland's mostly going to play pretty well the rest of the season. I think it says more about where you see Boston finishing out than anything. If they can kind of get out of this little slump they've been in. Okay, so Smart, he his hand is cleared, but he has a thigh issue, so he's not playing on Thursday, might play on Friday. So he'll be back relatively soon. That That's good for them. And you're right. I mean, there has been this big difference. Right now, Toronto and Boston are pretty close in terms of record, but the Raptors have been a way better team this year overall, like they're the, in terms of point differential and all that. But also, and this matters, Boston's best run came a long time ago. So if we're estimating what they're going to be moving forward, sure, everything counts. Absolutely everything counts. But the more relevant sample is the more recent stuff, especially if a team has structural changes, which neither of those teams really has. 
I guess Greg Monroe a little bit. I don't know. I mean, this fight isn't quite kind of structural, but he'll have a big role, I suppose, second unit eventually. I think he helps, but they still have Aaron Baines, who did a really nice job earlier in the season, and they'll have to, to work Monroe in. Gre- and Gordon Hayward, yeah, sure, there's a possibility he comes back, but I don't necessarily see that as a big regular season thing. First of all, just because that's a much shorter timeline. And second of all, because they'll basically be integrating him and all the stuff related to him, whether he's 100% and all that. So I, I expect them to be there. Of course, injuries can be massive here because when, when you have teams that are as close as they are. But yeah, I if I had to put money on it right now, I feel pretty good that the Raptors are going to be the one seed in the East. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty safe. Have you seen, like, a bench this dominant? It's kind of crazy. Like, I think they're, like, they're not really interested by 15 to a lot of those guys. Like, they're just absolutely smoked. And there isn't a ton in there that seems unsustainable. I mean, their bench talent is very good. The way that they've been managing those lineups is good. They've been doing a little bit with they've, – they've been playing DeRozan and Lowry together more because they've had a bench that's so good. But they have a lot of options. You know, they can – Van Vliet's had a great season. Pirtle's doing well. And then everybody, you know, like Siakam and going through it. And so – that helps them a lot. I think that their starting five has also done a nice job this year. And while Boston, you know, they have this great defense and they've been strong even since the be- even since that hot run at the beginning of the year, I don't fully trust their offense on a game-to-game basis. And so that gives them more volatility than the Raptors, who score pretty consistently. Well, I mean, Toronto is just so deep. Like, it's like, I wish Toronto's like 9 through 12 players could be distributed throughout the conference. They have so many just good players who can't really get the minutes they really deserve just because they're playing so well and they have so many guys to distribute. You know, it's like, it's really remarkable what they've done just in terms of drafting and developing players over the last two years. So then how do you see it? We talked about it a little bit, but how do you see Cleveland versus Boston? So as I said, I like to focus on the loss column for good teams and the win column for bad teams because that's really where the differentiation, because you assume that good teams are going to win if they have extra games to play. You assume they're going to win at least most of those. I think that would be a lot of ground for Cleveland to make up, but they certainly how have many is it? How many losses? Is there? Three in okay, yeah. about twenty five games. And I believe those I teams don't play each other again this year. I'll check it to make sure. My guess is Cleveland doesn't really care about the home court. They probably they're gonna have a big run now, but I could see LeBron kind of pushing back like April, hitting like, you know, second gear, just kinda of chill into the playoffs. That's the other half of it too. I don't think they're that concerned about it. So they might not push all the way through to get the two seed. The other big consideration there for Cleveland, more so than Boston, is that the two versus the three, if that's really what it ends up being, if Cleveland can separate, because right now they're technically close to the Wizards and the Bucks and the Pacers and all those teams, but they're a better team. And we saw how, how rough some of their elements were at the beginning of the season. And I wouldn't expect that to to continue necessarily. So if we kind of take that as a given, that if we, if we take that just for the sake of discussion as, as being a given, then... The difference between the two and the three is not that big a deal. It's really, it's facing the six seed versus the seven, and we don't know how good those teams are going to be at this point. And it's home court in the second round if those teams both win. And I don't think Cleveland is that concerned about beating Boston in Boston considering their track record both in the long term and this year. 
even though Boston did beat them once in in the Garden. Yeah, I think it's going to come down more to which first-round opponent there is. I think there's some pretty interesting teams in the bottom of this Eastern Conference bracket that might be able to punch above their weight. And it might not even come down to, like, who has a better record. But to me, like, I really want to see who Washington plays, if Wall is healthy, and who Milwaukee plays. I think those are going to be the really interesting first-round series coming out of the East. Milwaukee, to me, is the most compelling because they made the coaching change. So with Prunty, they've defended a lot better. And some of that is unsustainable opponent three-point shooting. I mean, they've been playing some real bad teams, too. Yeah, yeah, but they're just intuitively, they're getting the low-hanging fruit that their defense was giving up before will make them better. And now that they have Jabari back, their offense can change around a little bit. I mean, there there are some integration issues there just because... Yeah, I, I feel like low-hanging fruit is an understatement. They're like literally <laughs> picking up money on the ground. Like, that's not even like hanging. It's literally on the ground. Oh, here's free money. Okay, sure. Let's grab some of this. And so on that logic, I think they could be a dangerous team. They also have a player in Giannis who can be, especially if they don't have to face Cleveland, the best player on the floor in a series without question. I mean, I, th- I think he can be the best player on the floor in a series against almost anybody, depending on, on who's hot. And then the I, I think it's interesting, you said the Wizards, because for me, the other team that's like that, and I think it's because of the ceiling idea, is Philly. Because when Philly yeah, has been yeah. on... They can beat almost everybody. They've had some real trouble with the Cavs, but congratulations, so does almost everybody. And I really want to see where they go because at this point, so they're 30 and 25. They're, in terms of losses, they're actually tied with the Bucks and the Pacers and one behind the Wizards. But they should be getting a higher proportion, if he stays healthy, of Embiid than they did in the first patch because now he's playing more back to backs and all that kind of stuff. So if they can get, especially if they can get above or just away from Cleveland, it doesn't even necessarily have to be above. They could be the seven if Boston gets the, gets the two. I want to see where they go because they're really talented. And, you know, I don't think Bellinelli is a game changer for them, but just having another competent player on their bench helps in terms of a seven I was just going to say, like, it's finding, like, seven or eight good like players they trust. Just kind of the Wizards problem, too. It's just, like, their top five is very interesting. But, yeah, can they find those 15 minutes for a seventh guy? Because that guy just hold his own. I feel like pretty much when they're at, when they have Simmons and Embiid and they're pretty great. And it's just when they're moving those guys around, it starts to fall back. You know what they could use is uh, Markel Fultz. You know? Yeah, that would be useful for them if if he if he could actually it's contribute really to how that worked out. Yeah, and the Sixers, with why well, assuming Reddick can stay healthy as well. I mean, really, especially if you have Simmons and Beat and Reddick playing those guys together. The other theory of this is so a lot of times, and this was most prominent recently with the Thunder when they had Durant and Russ, was the idea of okay, you want to stagger them so you make sure somebody's on the floor at all times, and that's certainly fair. But what the Sixers, I think, is so compelling with them more in the long term than this year because the roster is pretty much done. Is can they get a good enough? second unit, like a little bit like what we talked about with the Raps, that they've separated their guys a little bit, so that they can play those guys together more, because I think Simmons and Embiid, especially with Redick, are just destroyers together, and then you can just let the other chips fall where they may. Yeah, I mean, part of it, too, is like the general assumption in the playoff series, oh, we're going to yoke our stars' minutes up, and like it's going to kind of boost our depth. How many minutes can Embiid really play in a playoff series? That's the other unknown. Can he get to like 36, 37 in a 56 game series? I'm not sure he can, or they will want to try it, you know? That's a good point, and maybe it's circumstance dependent. Like, if there's a game that look really important, like let's say it's a 3 2 series, that game six or something like that. But yeah, I don't think they're going to 
to go like, oh yeah, Embiid, you're going to play like 46 minutes tonight. Though they, I mean, I, I think back a little bit to that OKC game where they did that. And then of course, then he, I believe he had to sit in the next game, which was not really a big surprise. So they will have to strike that balance and they aren't deep enough to be, you know, if they're judicious about it, there will be real consequences as much as they've thrown into, you know, they traded away a couple of guys in a second round pick to get Trevor Booker. I don't think he's really reliable in a playoff series. They played, they pay Amir 11 million this year. Yeah. To be a nice guy, basically. Basically. And so that spot is going to hurt them a little bit, but I think they're, you know, I think their talent is enough to win out. And that's, and they're the other one. Why I could, the other reason why I said the thing with, with Giannis being the best player on the floor for a series, I think Embiid has that potential as well. He can be so destructive defensively and then offensively in a game to game basis. One of the things he's best at is getting opponents in foul trouble and screwing up another team's rotation is incredibly valuable in a playoff series. Absolutely. And he's one of the only big men who can kind of make it go the other way where I kind of feel like a lot of these Eastern series and even the West too, it'll be like, I'm going to see a lot of small ball, a lot of good guys going small. And then beats one of the only guys who can force you to keep your bigs in the game. I'm going to foul out those small guys who guard him. Still plenty more for Jonathan and I to talk about, but I want to take a quick moment to tell you about our friends at BetDSI. It's that time of year again. March Madness is about to take over, and with that, we're game on for bracketology and everything that goes with it. The BetDSI Million Dollar Bracket Challenge is right around the corner, and while we wait, you can still win big on this NCAA basketball season. We're getting really close to the conference tournaments. Some of them are going to start as early as next week, so a lot going on, battling for number one seeds and for bubble teams. And one way to make that more interesting is to use BetDSI. So you can go there, make it, and get comfortable with it because you're really going to want to be a part of that million-dollar bracket challenge. I'm going to be a part of it as well. BetDSI has over 20 years in the business. They've built a reputation on fast payments and winnings, which is, of course, an essential part of this business. Top-rated on review sites, easy-to-use, fast-playing interface, and you can also bet games as they go, which I think is a fascinating way to handle sports because especially depending on if you have a good feel for the ebb and the flow, maybe you think you can can get an advantage there and the live in-game wagering options will, will of course be able available through the tournament as well you can make plays throughout the game and the event they also have great customer service available 24 7 365 days a year and if you register now you can get a 200 percent member bonus by using the promo code madgm m-a-d-g-m and tune in during the next few weeks to learn more about the million dollar bracket challenge i'm really excited about it with bet dsi so don't sit on the sidelines this March Madness. Use the promo code MADGM at BetDSI and start winning today. One of the things that I'm really interested in in the East, maybe more so than, actually definitely more so than the West, is just who plays who. Because certain teams, we've talked about the ones that we like, you like the Wizards a little bit more than I do, and then the Bucks and the Sixers. But that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's good against everybody. And also defining success for these teams, because... I think that the team, unless somebody gets an upset on one of those top three teams, there's a real value to getting into the 4-5 because, like, for the Wizards, let's say, winning a first-round series, even if it's against an inferior opponent, means something very different to ownership in their front office than losing in the first round. There's no question. The reason I said Washington is interesting because it just seems to me like they know. So I talked I talked to Marquise a couple weeks ago doing a story about the Wizards, and he was basically like, yeah, we know our centers aren't very good. We can't play them in the playoffs. We're going to go small. And so like you're waiting for them to go that Marquise at the five, Oubre Wall, Porter Beal. And I guess they have Sadoransky too, maybe Mike Scott. 
They're going to look very different, I imagine, by like game four of a playoff series. It seems to me like if they can just go, they're a team that can really have so many big guys just eating up minutes, not like doing much in the court. And if they get rid of them, I think they have the puncher's chance of being better than what they've shown so far this season. That's an interesting idea because that would certainly really goose things offensively for them because while Gortat is a great screener, just having that extra space to work with for all their guys because Beal's gotten better with the ball in his hands. I think that's been one of the other big takeaways with Wall being out the way that he has been this year. I think Beal's looked better than I anticipated, which is great. I mean, that's really important for them. But even Wall at this point, you know, especially if they have to push those guys hard, that was something with that Celtic series last year. It looked like they had tired legs late. They had to do so much. So if they can get a little bit easier path in that circumstance, but their defense is going to be a big challenge with that just because they won't stop a ton of penetration unless John Wall goes back to what he was like three or four years ago on defense, and even then. And... I, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, that that does certainly make it a different calibration if they understand that they're going to need to go with Keith at center and and really just thin out. I mean, Mahimi is another one of those. Like when he's on, sure he could be a wonderful defensive player, but I wouldn't be relying on him. That wouldn't be my plan in a playoff series. Yeah, that's where I think Wall and Gortat thing came from. That beef. Wall's like, dude, you're terrible. You're killing our team and you're talking trash about me. Like, I've made your whole career. And now you're going to say this when I'm out like two weeks? Get out of here, man. How are you feeling right now? Uh, it looks to me at this moment, though, the Pistons are close. Like, the way it's going to work out is that we have a pretty good sense of who the eight are, at least at full health in the East. And so for me, that would mean, you know, the Pacers and the Heat make it in, the Pistons and the Hornets make it out. Are you willing to write off either the Pistons or the Hornets, or is it just kind of like, we'll see where it goes? I think Hornets are just too far back. They yeah, just they're, they're, nine, they're, nine, this year. they're nine games under 500 right now, so they would have to... I mean, because at this point, I think you have to assume it's going to be 500 or pretty pretty dang close to it. So they're going to have to push to yeah. at least 40 wins, and that would be a lot for where they are right now. Yeah, and then you look at... I think Detroit has a really tough schedule coming up or something, so it seems like they're in trouble, but I don't want to write Detroit off just yet. They're not that far back, and you know Stan's coaching for his job. Like, this is it for him. If there's anything in the tank, he's going to... I feel like he's going to max out Blake right now, but if he can. He's going to say, i got to squeeze all the uh, juice out of this apple while I still can. That makes... I, that, something out, I, I sure. think they're, they're a pretty classic ninth team, and what I mean by that is they are out of it unless somebody else falls past them. I think the Pistons, you know, they can they can move within a couple games, but I think they're going to be around maybe a little under 500. They're one game under right now, but I think they'll be better in the second half. I mean, they'll presumably have more Reggie Jackson than they did in the first half of the year. They, of course, have Blake now. And the Blake... When did he come back? Reggie was Reggie. clear. He was cleared for running and jumping, I think, a couple days ago, but it'll probably be a little bit. So my in my head, I've kind of been thinking early March... And, you know, Ish has been okay, but I think Reggie Jackson makes a lot more sense with that. And so basically what I mean by them being the ninth team is that I think they'll be in that kind of 42-43 win range. And then if a team falls past them, either because they hit a cold rut or they just are hurt, then sure, they can absolutely make it in. Yeah, I mean, Reggie hasn't been that great, but it seems like he can just take the minutes are given to, like, Bikes and uh, Jameer Nelson. They have a lot of really replaceable minutes they're using right now. Like, they're one of the... They're kind of a lot. They remind me a little bit of like the Pelicans, and that they're just like scrambling to find eight good players and to keep rotation somewhat piece. They're like before the Pelicans got hurt, basically. Uh, is Stan going to get canned if he doesn't make the playoffs? Oof. 
it's a close it's a close call to me. I think this year, well, they w- I think they would at least have a conversation about whether they want to separate out the GM and coach things, and maybe he would take a doc situation where Doc's still getting paid exactly the same money, but he's just coaching. And that that could be good. I mean, because Stan Van's a better coach than I would expect them to end up with. So if well, he's... The, the tough part about that is if you're like the coach GM, because you know, like, oh, they're bringing a new GM, he's going to want to have his own coach eventually. Sure. So that's why you can just kind of feel writing on the wall and say, take that job away from you. Yeah, I, I think the like, reason... probably gone. Too and he can play hardball and basically say, no, I'm both. And then, you know, the logic being that he can still get his money. And if he'd rather rather either A, coach somewhere else, or B, just take a year off or whatever he wants to do, then he can absolutely make that happen. I think Doc just wanted to to be around it because he, he could have played hardball in exactly the same way. I'll, I'll go through. So the Pistons schedule, you brought that up, so I looked it up. It's, pre- it's pretty striking. So from now until March 24th, so that's almost exactly a month, they only play four home games. They have four home games. Oh. And they have what looks like 12 road games. And that's bad enough. But even worse, three of those four road games are home games. Sorry, three of the four only games they play at Little Caesars Arena. Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto. And then the other one, Chicago, and they should be tanking by that point. But that's tough because they do play some bad teams on the road, but sometimes bad teams get up for games. I mean, like they play SAC, but a lot of them, I mean, they play Orlando, but a lot of them are against capable teams that are still going to be trying. So if they can make it through that stretch clean and then kind of open things up for the last couple weeks of the season, they'll be in a good spot. But that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big part. It's easy to forget that with this few games left schedule. Just That's why when we go over to the West, like Utah, it's a great spot. Cause they have so many games against teams who are just flat out not trying, and that's just going to be major going the rest of the way forward. It is, and as we're kind of getting close to the to the bottom of the East, I think it's as good a time as any to talk about this. And so I think, the other than the top end and, you know, that kind of stuff, the biggest story that, that is going to be talked about starting eh, probably about two weeks for most people, I'm starting to talk about it now, is the tank race this year is going to be otherworldly because there are, so there, it, there is kind of a bifurcation. So there are eight teams that are all bad, whether that be due to circumstance, like a couple of them, like the Grizzlies have just been hurt, or like the Kings that just aren't good. And all eight of those teams have their own pick this year. So they have, you know, they might not have the same incentives to tank based on who's who's employed and all that kind of stuff. And then there are another two teams, the Lakers and the Nets, who aren't making the playoffs, but do not have their own picks. So that many teams in the last year before lottery reform, I think we're going to see a push to the bottom that starts right away. Yeah, I, I would say if I was a fan of those, just start watching college basketball, man. Just start watching Bagley and Aiden and all these guys. It'll be better use of your time than watching these uh, bottom feeder teams over the last bunch of the season. Unless you enjoy just some of the gloriously, deliriously bad basketball that we're going to see. And so what I've called it, there's this is in uh, the newest League Pass Games of the Week. I'm going to be tracking this the whole year. I actually created a spreadsheet called what I'm calling Double Tank Games. And so what Double Tank Games are, there are 24 left this year, where that, that eight teams, and I'll rattle it off just so people have it, Suns, Hawks, Kings, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Magic, Bulls, and Knicks. All those teams aren't going to make the playoffs. All those teams have their own picks. So there are 24 times the remainder of this year that two of those teams face off against each other. I think all of those games, or at least 90% of them, are going to be unbelievably bad. Yeah, I was at the uh, the Mavs Kings game. I think I was talking about for All Star break. It yeah, was yeah, that, that was that was one of the because I started the double tank list a week before the All Star game and didn't talk about it much, and that was one of the ones on the list. And you said it was amazing, right? 
Well, that's one way to say it. I remember watching it. I'm like, are the Kings even playing that well? And it was like, no, they're not. The Mavs are just, I don't even know what this is. But they're, <laughs> this is really, it was hard to watch, man. I think we started making paper airplanes in the press box, dude. This is like, what are you doing? And that's also going to be really big for everyone else because, yeah, the double tank games are going to be their own entertainment. But for a lot of the purposes, except for maybe a couple of these teams early on, like I think Orlando, now that they get Vooch and Aaron Gordon back, I think they might push for a week or two just to see what these guys have. Gordon's going to be up for a new contract, all that kind of stuff. But also, once we let's say once we get to like March 15th, if we want to give put a, make it a little bit broader, if you have one of these teams on your schedule, you're just sitting there going, awesome, that's effectively a night off because wh- while the players yeah. in certain circumstances, the coaches are still going to be trying because tanking is more of an organizational thing rather than an individual thing. You're going to see these circumstances, like the Bulls bringing Felicio and Cameron Payne back into the rotation. You see a lot of that kind of stuff. Got, I mean, Eric Bledsoe last year. I was going to say, that's the thing. It's like the types of lineups they use. Uh, so, like with the Mavs, uh, Carlisle started playing uh, Sala Mejri and Maxi Kleber together like two weeks ago, and they haven't played together all season. Like, stuff like that is what you really see tanking. It's just like strategic combinations of players that make no sense together, and just kind of team collapses around them, basically. And a lot of these teams, just by virtue of where they are in the in this process, have players that can be destructive if that's what they want. You know, Felicio is a good example of this. Like, he, the team has been an absolute disaster when he's been on the floor, and he has a long contract, so you can go into that. Emmanuel Moutier for the Knicks is another one of those, if he plays like he has a lot ah. of this year. Like, the, like the, the stealth tank king. So you're telling me that was a low-key tanking move trading for Moutier? I'm, I'm here for that take. I, That's a good take. I think that it's it's a possibility. I mean, it's also worth it just for the gamble because the Knicks don't yeah, have cap a- space. They don't have cap space this year. So, hey, you get him for a year. I, I really liked Moutier as a prospect, as a draft guy, so he can be better. Hornacek maybe, maybe being there, getting reliable minutes. But, yeah, I mean... This year he's been he's been pretty bad for the Nuggets. So if you can get into that opportunity, I'm sure they wish they could have gotten somebody better than Devin Harris. But still, like, Devin Harris, pretty good player. We'll talk about that later. But I think it'll help them a lot. It'll definitely help stabilize some things. It's it's amazing just what what having a, a guy who you can just throw out there for 15 to 20 minutes a game can actually do for them. So you, I think we're going to see that just in the way this shakes out with everybody else is just you know okay so whether it's Cleveland or when we talk about the Warriors and Rockets, especially like those higher end teams, but also the other way that this could end up being really, really significant. And I haven't gone through this yet for the conference, like for the playoff stuff is when you have one of those eight teams and you are on a back to back. Cause I think you could basically treat that as like a half game to a point, you know, you're probably not going to have to play your guys too much. Maybe you, you can go two different approaches. One is be just more judicious about the rest during the game. The other one is to be like, Hey, let's try to end this by the third quarter. And then everybody can sit in the fourth. Yeah. I mean, for sure. A lot of it, I'm sure there'll be some separation of those eight and there'll be some teams that like kind of stumble backwards into winning. And so, but I think as a rule, as a whole team, guys who have played those eight teams are in a great spot right now. They are. And, and I'm not at the point yet where I think I can really separate out within that group too much. I think that the, the craziest part, so I said for, for good teams, I focus on losses because they can make up the wins. And then with bad teams, I focus on the win column because they can make up the losses. So right now, almost all of the, so the eight teams I mentioned, the only one that has 
that's really separated from the pack are the Knicks at 23 wins, but they might not, they haven't won a game in February yet. And they haven't won a game, obviously, since Porzingis went down. And then almost all the other teams are at 18, so they're all really bunched up now. So it's going to be absolutely insane. And when it's that many teams, there's a huge incentive to stay bad because it's not just like, oh, well, the third best uh, third best odds in the lottery versus the fourth best odds. No, this could be like two versus seven, and that's massive. Yeah, that, that's really looking at, like, that's like like worst case, the fifth pick, versus worst case, like, the 12th pick. So, yeah, that's that's big. And so we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. I think we'll have a much better idea in a couple weeks of just who, who tried for a little bit longer, and then by that point, everybody's going to be just in that. And then the other question with that, and this is an Eastern Conference thing with the Nets in particular. So the Nets are at 19 wins. They're right in the middle of this group. And I think people mischaracterize this a lot, that they say, oh, well, if you don't have your own pick, you're just going to try as hard as you can to win games, like out of spite or whatever. The the right way, at least in my opinion, to interpret that is, is actually a little bit more nuanced, and that's that you're indifferent to it because you don't have the same incentive to lose. But I don't think Brooklyn's going to be, like, pushing Spencer Dinwiddie and making sure their best lineups are out there on the floor. It's just that they're not going to be putting their worst lineups out there on the floor just for the hell of it. Yeah, I mean, they'll still want to develop the young guys they have. But, yeah, yeah they will, I see what you're saying. And their young guys are going to be fascinating. I, I, I like a lot of the Nets. I like Jared Allen a lot. I think that he could be a useful player for them, somebody that you're familiar with from, from his time playing college ball in Texas. And Spencer Dinwiddie's obviously been great. They kept him at the deadline and they have to now D'Angelo Russell and Crab and all this kind of stuff. So I think they're going to push ahead of a lot of this group, which is not good for Cavs fans. But, you know, I think that'll be, I think it'll, it'll definitely lead to more more craziness in terms of everybody at the bottom. Here's the question I have for you. Do you think Jaleel's in the league next year? I do. I think that his ability to, to score, I mean, you go back to his rookie year and just the numbers that he put up, I think that leads to a team just saying, hey, we can we can make it work with him, but I'm not sure if his contract will be more than the minimum, and I'm not sure if his contract is going to be fully guaranteed, but I think he'll get a shot. I, I think he'll be in a camp, and I think he'll be a favorite to make a roster, like he'll be expected to make a roster, and maybe that falls apart later on. But he's had a couple nice moments. It seems like he's moving better with the Nets now than he was earlier. I'm, I'm sure he's going to be motivated this offseason, but yeah, I mean, it's going to take especially when we you and I have discussed this on on the show and off the show for a long time now as the center position gets marginalized and guys you know guys that are weren't centers before are playing it there are fewer minutes for for guys that are not starters and I don't think any team sees to look for at least right now as a starter yeah as you were saying I was thinking yeah even if he makes a roster can he keep a rotation spot? Those are two different questions. It'll be so. Actually, we had an article the other day. It was kind of interesting. Our baseball writer wrote it. He's talking about how in baseball you never want to draft a college first baseman because they're already really slow and they can't move positions at all. Like you want to draft guys who play up the middle positions because worst case they can always move to first base as they get older. Whereas the first baseman is already kind of locked in place. And I kind of wonder if that's how it's going with centers now. Unless you have like an Embiid or a Towns. Why even draft the center high when you can just move a four there eventually anyways? Nate and I talked about this a little bit. We did a dunk ton on the center rankings, and I think it was around 12. We started realizing, oh my God, like would these guys even play starter-level minutes in the playoffs? Like That's really, uh, on in terms of guys that their main position is center, because obviously there are a lot of fours that can play the five, and we'll see that, you know, Ibaka and Draymond Green, and to an extent, Blake, you know, they're not going to do it because they have Drummond, but... You have all that, and and so to me, what the line of separation is 
is whether you credibly believe that a guy has the potential to be a top 10 center in the league. Because to me, if you see that line, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you see a guy can be a, a top 10 guy, totally worth it. You know, for the people, I haven't done a ton in my draft work yet, but if you think Jaron Jackson Jr. can be that guy, take him high. Not a problem because we're seeing with Embiid and Towns and Jokic that a really good center can be incredibly valuable. They're not, you know, I don't I don't think they're necessarily going to be as valuable as like a Giannis or LeBron or Steph or something like that because they don't have the ball in their hands as much. But Embiid has been a game changer for the Sixers, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's really where the line is. But if a, if you're not if you think a guy is going to be like oh maybe a solid center or a good backup, no, do not draft those guys high. Don't draft them high at all. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say now if you're a five, especially at a team this playoffs, like I'm gonna need my five to either force teams to match up with him on offense, like to be such a dominant offensive player that they have to stay big against him, or I want my five to just really create great defense. Like I want to go bear type, who just gonna make the game change on defense. But if you can't really, as a five, impose your will on the game, a team's gonna go small against you, and then what's the difference? Right, and I, I think both of us haven't. Have you? You haven't done most of your draft stuff yet, have you? It's mostly later on. Uh, I've been doing like the top ten-ish guys. Yeah. After that, it gets pretty. Strange. Yeah, because like the, I've been, I was looking at uh, looking at the board, and usually guys like Robert Williams and Gafford and Mitchell Robinson, guys like that, you know, they're in the, the teens. Like to me, unless you just think there's something that no somebody else isn't seeing in those guys, I would probably push them down a little bit. And then, I mean, we're seeing this right now with the rookie wings. OG fell too far. Josh Hart fell too far. Yeah, because. I mean, Dylan Brooks arguably fell too far. I mean, some of those guys, Hart and Brooks, it was partially because people thought they had a lower ceiling, they're a little bit older, all that kind of stuff. But hell, if you can get a wing that can be a part of your rotation, and yes, the Lakers and the Grizzlies are not exactly blowing the doors off teams right now, except for the Lakers' recent hot streak. But if you can get a guy like that on a rookie-scale contract, even if that's the line, do it. Because those four years in restricted free agency are absolutely massive. And I think it's, it goes like to what you were saying about like minutes. It's just like it's when you draft a guy or even get a guy, it's like, can you find minutes for this guy? And it's just really hard to find minutes for bigs. And it's really, really easy to find minutes for wings. So all things being equal, the wing is going to be more valuable just because you can play more positions. And to a, a greater extent now, I think we're, this has been one of the more interesting, striking parts about what's going on this year. And I'm thinking, for example, about Gallo for this or Tobias Harris. If you're a wing that maybe you're not the greatest defender of threes for whatever reason, maybe you're a little bit slow, maybe it's just it's not a focus like for Gallo at this point in his career. Well, great, then you're a four now. Like that, that used to be a tweener that was a problem. I don't think that's much of a problem anymore if you're still really good. If you're not good, then yeah, you can fall by the wayside. But the ability for players who are drafted as wings to slide to other positions is even stronger now than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Anything else in the East? Or I think we're pretty close to moving to the West. Yeah, I'm ready to go on. Before Jonathan and I move on to the Western Conference, and of course we have a lot to talk about there, I want to give you a brief message from our friends at TrueCar. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from TrueCar. Now you know it can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. 
And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they can set their true price competitively so that they can win your business. So, when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So the Rockets and Warriors are are going to be one and two in either order. I don't know exactly which way it's going to be yet. My instant so the way that I, I've been thinking about this, I do writing on the Warriors, of course, a lot, is that I think the Rockets are a better regular season team just because they're trying more and all that kind of stuff. But the Warriors, from what I can tell, have a more favorable schedule. So I'm going to have them as a slight favorite, but it, it will, you know, it'll, it'll depend on context. And I'm also not sure, depending on where the 7-8 goes, that the difference is that important. I'm curious, as a Warriors guy, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you about the Rockets? 7 or 8, I think something in that range. And I, I've been thinking about it, and it's it's always hard because the 2016 Finals is so complicated because of injuries for both sides, but especially for the Warriors with, with Curry, that Houston, on paper, you can make a very decent argument that they are the best team that the Warriors will have faced in the Kerr era, if they, you know, should they face them. Because that Cavs team was very good, but they were flawed in ways that the Warriors couldn't exploit. But then the other part of that, the easy counter is, well, LeBron that year was spectacular. And in that finals, even though he hadn't been as amazing during the regular season as Chris Paul has been so far this year, Kyrie was just incredible. And so maybe you make the argument that the Cavs, even if you argue that the Cavs were an inferior team, maybe that year to the Rockets, that they were a better playoff team because of their playoff specific my innocent thought was like really it was that thunder team that year oh yeah like even yeah. though that's that might that's probably the call Durant. actually you're right you're right that was the best Durant. team yeah that team was incredible i mean i was in oklahoma city for games three and four of that series when they just man they just steamrolled that that was one of the most I'll, impressive displays i've ever seen those two games and then i never forget that when Dion waiters dunk dunk on the warriors i and they tried to raise the roof i'm like they just don't even care right now they're just straight smoking these boys yeah, yeah man that team was the rolling and that was the last game they won as what game four was the last game westbrook and grant won together other than the all-star yeah. game which just happened and nobody counts that yeah Okay, so if we take that as the one and two, do you have a feel yet on who you think is going to get the one seed, or is it just kind of kind of a coin flip at this point? I, I kind of lean towards what you're saying. I just feel like Golden State doesn't really care. Houston's got so much more. Also, the Antonio's dreaded season coach. Plays guys a lot of minutes. I like the guys they picked up. I think they should. Well, and Harden's MVP push, too. Yeah, yeah. Harden's going to want to win real bad this year. I think they have a lot of incentives to get the one. They'll get the one, I think. If you move past that, this is where it gets gets fascinating. Because so for right now, there, are, you know, there there isn't really much separation really through the rest of the playoff picture. Minnesota's ahead in terms of wins, but you know they're not that far ahead in terms of losses. San Antonio is 35-24. and 24, They're 36-25, and 25, so it's pretty close there. But of course, now and, and now we know, or at least we have the expectation that Kawhi is going to be out for the remainder of the season. So I guess we're just well. Let's let's start with a little bit on Kawhi. How are you feeling about that? And the dueling reports that kind of came out about well, Pop saying okay, he's not going to play, and then Woj having it that Kawhi has been medically cleared, though that isn't necessarily the same thing as saying he's a hundred percent or ready to go or something like that. Yeah, I saw. Isn't like the was the box score is like. DNP recovering. What was it? It was some really sketchy like thing. Like <laughs> DNP recovering from injury or something. 
That sounds that's right. I don't. I don't remember offhand. It certainly doesn't seem like, given the Spurs' cautiousness, that they're going to bring him back at this point. It certainly. It doesn't sound like it. Whether I mean, who knows, really? But it feels like that's a team out of the picture now. We can pretty much safely write them out as with Kawhi not coming back. Okay. So I do want to watch. It'll be fun to watch. I'm curious to watch Murray the rest of the year. I feel like he's a big part. But that's we're getting off tangent, off subject there. So long story short, I'm not really worried about San Antonio anymore. Kawhi's not coming back, obviously. At the same point, and I agree with all of that. They could still win a bunch of games in the regular season because they're the Spurs. And this super, we could totally see this super weird dynamic where they end up with a good seed, but nobody's particularly scared of them unless it sounds like Kawhi's coming back. Yeah, I guess here's how I have it right now. Like I was kind of looking for this podcast started. I feel like tier two in the West right now, I'd have it some order of Minnesota, OKC, and Denver. I think those are the three of that like seven, eight group range. Those are the three I'm most I'm most interested in right now. And Utah can play their way into that group. I mean, they've been molten. I think it's eleven games straight going into the going into the break. But they're still going to need to do it a little bit more. They're going to need to stay healthy. I mean, health is health is a big part of that. Though they did do really well with Rubio out. And then, and also, like we're talking about them relative to like San Antonio or something. The Spurs have a, I think it's a four and a half game lead on them, and that's a lot to make up in twenty five games. Yeah, and if you go spin it forward to the playoffs, like Mitchell's been awesome, but if your leading scorer is a rookie, it's so hard to have too much. And you in a playoff series. So you, you you're optimistic about Denver, and I think I see some of that. But do you want to kind of explain why why you have them in that group with Minnesota and OKC that you're most interested in? Yeah, well, I I guess to start like we said earlier, just I think switching out Harris to Moutier improves them dramatically because Moutier was horrible for most of this year, and Harris. Like, no one was watching him, but I think he was probably the Mavs' best player, which I know is pretty faint praise. But he was a really good player for the Mavs this year. He's a good two-way player. And just, like, the jump in that position from, like, just bare-bottom terrible to pretty competent will help them a lot. Getting back Millsap will help them a ton. Millsap, I think, solves a lot of their structural issues. I believe, I think Malone even said at one point, like, Millsap is their best player, which is pretty funny he would say that, but I can see where he's coming from a little bit. So I just think getting Millsap and Harris on top of the guys they already have, I think will make them a much better team. The other key, key thing for Malone with Millsap is that he trusts him to play with Jokic so he doesn't have to play Jokic with another big anymore. So, you know, the idea, because they've gone to Plumlee and they've gone to, the, you know, they of course had Nurkic before they traded him. And I don't think those lineups are what's best for the Nuggets. So the, the opportunity... Is uh, Plumlee out? How long, how long is he out right now? I haven't heard a specific diagnosis, but I think it's going to be a little while longer. Calf things are no joke, and you always want to be patient with them because they have a, they have a nasty tendency to recur. So I haven't heard a timeline yeah. yet, but I think it'll be a little while. And fortunately, they have a lot of other options. I mean, I think Trey Lyles has been far better than I expected. I've been very encouraged by that. And they can just they can dance around it. They have perimeter guys. They can do a bunch of different things. So they'll make it work. And then I, I think what I've heard most recently is Millsap probably like mid-March or thereabouts. So that means they'll be using most of the rest of the regular season to kind of integrate him to get things to get things right. But that I think that's probably enough time. And that leads into kind of the teams at the bottom here. And I think one of the big questions for them is going to be who pushes enough, like who who's good enough to make these other teams sweat? I mean, Portland, certainly, they're already in the mix. But New Orleans and the Clippers, I mean, both those teams... 
plenty talented to make the playoffs, absolutely, can go on a run, both those teams can, but at the same point, they need to be healthy, and it's a little bit of a concern for them that I would say those are the two least likely teams on talent, and they're also the two most unhealthy teams. I'm pretty worried with Davis. They're just going to run him into the ground this last few months because they need him to play basically all the time, and he's never been able to stay healthy you know, for a long period of time without little knickknack injuries. So that, that to me is a huge concern. It's just how much they got to rely on Davis, and I don't think he's ever played a full season. So it's a concern, and their medical staff in general is a huge concern. It's crazy, like... So Evans, pretty much as soon as he leaves New Orleans, becomes very healthy. Eric Gordon, pretty much as soon as New Orleans, becomes very healthy. And those guys could never stay healthy in New Orleans. It's bizarre. It is. And Ryan Anderson has been more durable in Houston than I expected as well. It's not as significant as the Eric Gordon one because Gordon, it's been such a sea change. But yeah, I would say overall, Ryan Anderson, he's been dealing with some stuff. But I think he's been healthier off the top of my head in Houston than he was in New Orleans. Yeah, so just a combination of things. Like, it's a very thin team. A lot of guys with injury histories have to play a lot of minutes in a very sketchy situation medically. It seems like New Orleans, because you think, okay, well, it's going to ride Davis all year. He'll get us in the playoffs. But it's kind of like Embiid, but a less serious version of it where, yeah, you can get his minutes up, but is there going to be a downside to that a week from now if you give him, like, 45 for three straight games? Because I think if they do that, they'd get in the playoffs. But can you do that for the next month and a half? I'm skeptical. I'm really hopeful that they can get something from Solomon Hill. He's... I, I I haven't heard a specific timeline. I know I, early on they were saying February, but, I mean, hamstrings, again, hamstrings, you have to be very careful about it. But just to get another guy who can sop up some minutes, especially... I was going to say, a competent basketball player would be big for them. So, right. Yeah. And that's what was so weird about the Dante Cunningham trade, was that I thought Dante Cunningham could really help them. And I'm assuming there was something... They remind really- me... Who was that? Traded for Rashad Vaughn. Did they even keep Vaughn on the roster? Nope. So they saved some money in that, and presumably they can use that for buyout guys, but I have no idea who's going to be on the buyout market. I mean, that's going to be coming down for, what is that, March 1, or the deadline for that? Yes. So the the rule there... Coming up pretty soon. Yeah, the rule there is that players have to be waived by March 1st, I think on or by March 1st, but they can be picked up any time after that. So... It, that's really so. The, so the pressure okay. is on the player and their current team to figure it out. But they don't have to be on the new team. It's just that they have to be available. So yeah, maybe some teams will wait in certain circumstances. And one of the reasons teams wait, which is more relevant to somebody like Cleveland than New Orleans, because I think they have a little bit more wiggle room now, is because how long the rest of the season is for a rest of the season contract affects your luxury tax bill and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. New Orleans has had like. I think they've had like 30 guys in the roster in the last three years. It's kind of incredible how much turnover they've had in their team. And they've had turnover in their rotation, too. I mean, they've had a lot on the margins as well, partially because they've had some real trouble getting value out of their young guys. Frank Jackson's been out this whole year functionally. Shake Diallo really hasn't been a big part of it. So they've been cycling through, you know, 10-day guys and all that. But... I think they can make work. I, I, I'm not willing, I'm certainly not willing to write them off yet, but I think it's going to be a harder road because they, the if healthy thing with them is so big. And yes, Drew Holiday has been pretty, pretty healthy this year, and I think he's having a nice year. But again, you know, this is a guy who, who's dealt with a lot of stuff in his past, too. Yeah, and the Clippers of the, I think, I think we all just kind of assumed, oh, they tried to break the season's over, but there's still a lot of talent there. You know, Tobias Harris is a pretty good player. So, in, in yeah, I mean, I was. Their front court rotation, to me, they're. Head, I thought. 
Yeah, to me, their front court rotation makes more sense now than it did before. The backcourt, I mean, they still don't have, with Patrick Beverly out, they still don't have a, a lot of what they need there. But yeah, I, I I could absolutely see them being competitive. So for me, for sure, you have your top two, the three guys we talked about. I think those five are safe. But I think Utah will sneak in just because they got that schedule. Like, have you seen the Utah schedule? It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, they don't play a road game until March 3rd, I believe, and that road game is in Sacramento. So that should work yeah, out. Yeah, they recently. play a bunch of those, like, bottom eight teams we were talking about who are just going to slide all the way in. So that'll make it... They've, I think the odds are in Utah's favor. And then I think Portland, they at least have continuity. You feel they'll still make it in some. And then San Antonio. To me, like, I think they have an edge just because L.A. and New Orleans have moved so many pieces around, whereas Portland has kind of knows who they are. They're pretty set rotation. They're pretty stable. Okay, this is pretty amazing. Utah has, they have four back-to-backs the rest of this season. Three of those back-to-backs include one of those bottom eight teams. So it's less of a yeah. back-to-back. And you know Utah's always a tough place to play, regardless. So oh, they, yeah. they should be they should be in pretty good shape, I think. And the other one, like I haven't, I, I said I didn't consider them in the same group because they don't have their own pick. They play the Lakers twice in April, and it's very possible by that point they've just de-emphasized some of their older guys. Maybe that's playing Zubac and Thomas Bryant more. Could be a lot of different things that they could just go a little bit harder in that direction. So those could be they're not the same thing as like what the egregious things that some of these teams are going to start doing pretty soon but functionally speaking for utah might not be that different you know i'll be interested in in a buyout thing is channing fry have they talked much about him like do they want to keep him around all season i've heard that they do but i wouldn't be surprised at all if that conversation has changed since the deadline just because they have so many other guys on their roster and i I could see him saying hey you know if you're gonna play me we can talk about it but i think he'd rather like there might be an opportunity for him on a good team he can't go back to Cleveland because of the rules there. But I could see him getting on with another good team and being a like a low-end part of the rotation, at least for the regular season and possibly for the playoffs as well. And to me, that would be a lot more interesting than just toiling to a degree on the Lakers for a month and a half. Yeah, just like that, that stretch five-ish ability he has. It can really change the game. I mean, I think he had Cleveland's best net rating this season, if I'm not mistaken. Like just the things he can do geometry of the court-wise make him interesting. I don't know that the Thunder want to add more money, but just having an extra guy in their center rotation would be useful, especially if Steven Adams has to ever miss any time. But I don't know if they're He's willing to... That guy's to... a big tank, man. Oh, man, it's unbelievable. And I guess that Patterson still really has never come himself totally together, so it makes sense if they can do that. If they can do it, and... That is going to be another one of those differentiation points here is some of these teams like Cleveland, like Oklahoma City, they're not getting out of the tax. And that we know that because of the deadline and everything else. But they do have some flexibility with the roster. Washington is this way too, where if they want to... They can't really spend more than the minimum as a practical matter, but how long they go and what kind of thing they offer could really swing how interested buyout guys are. And at this point, we really don't know what the buyout market is going to be. I expected we were going to hear more murmurs during the break. We really didn't. I didn't hear anything during that, but we still have another week for all that to transpire. Yeah, and I think OKC will definitely go all in. They already are all in. They have to make a run this year. I think they'll, whatever it takes, they'll just do. I was I would assume they'll be very aggressive. They might as well. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Paul George, but this is their best shot. I, by I mean, they they got to make sure he stays. If he goes, this is 
going to get ugly fast. So and, and not takes. only not only does it get ugly fast, it gets ugly fast without a real way to fix it. Because sometimes people, when they assume, oh, you know, you lost a guy, well, you can sign somebody else to replace him. Nope, because of how far they were over the cap this year, assuming Mello doesn't yeah. opt out. They don't have the flexibility. They just lose him. That's that's all that happens. And sure, they'll get Robertson back, and, and he's a wonderful defensive player. But assuming Melo opts in then, then they're like, well, okay, we're going to be under the tax. They'll spend their mid-level exception on somebody, and that's all they'll have. And while this free agent class is going to be a little bit muted, and that will lead to better values for the mid-level exception, they're not going to get a, a starting caliber player on the wing and all that good, because those are the only guys that are going to get paid. Well, I was just thinking about it. It's like, if you're in college, you're at a house party at like, I don't know, like one in the morning, and like the vibe kind of shifts, and you're like, I got to get out of here, man. This is going to get bugly. Like, I don't need to be here anymore. That's what you'd okay see if Paul George leaves. Like, nothing to watch here anymore. Let's just get out of here while we still can before we get in trouble. <laughs> and if that happens, it would be a shame because they do still have a lot of talent. It's just that they would be closer to what they were before. And that took a superhuman performance by Russell Westbrook, a, deserve, a deserving MVP, to get them into the first round. And they lost in the first round, which wasn't a huge surprise. I mean, they, that series with the Rockets was, you know, I, there, there were ways that they could have won that series, but they weren't the favorites and they didn't win. So if that's really what where this goes from that point, it would be hard. But you know, at at a certain point, you know they've done. We'll see. We'll see how it looks in the playoffs. But they've done enough to make Paul George interested. Whether they've made him more interested than some of the other things that could be on the table is an open question. Yeah, I mean, they're to me in the first two rounds of the West, they're the most interesting storyline because so much of their features on the line. Like, every game they're in the playoffs is going to feel like a Game 7, it seems like. Like, it's just going to be a man. we got to win. we got to figure out a way. Like, Minnesota, Denver, San Antonio. Oh, you know, we can, they can think long-term. OKC, they've got to win. And they're a team with specific strengths and weaknesses. So, like, there are certain opponents, like, you know, that I could see them having some trouble with. They're wonderful perimeter defense. Like, well, I mean, also, they don't have Robertson anymore, so they won't be as wonderful there. And how do they use Mello? What what approaches are they going to do? And also, going after Mello defensively, I think, is going to be a much bigger storyline in the playoffs because that's what the playoffs are for. The playoffs are for finding what another team is weak at and going after it ruthlessly. We've we've seen that a little bit with him during the regular season but in the playoffs you face the same team five six seven times that's what it's that's what you're doing i haven't really thought about it who would you want to play in the first round if you were a pro okc person like who do you want to see who do you not want to see the hilarious one is is how do they feel about San Antonio? I would assume San Antonio is who you want to play if Kawhi is is unavailable. But the Spurs are so good at executing, and they also do a really nice job defending the interior that maybe they would challenge OKC shooting, and that could actually be a problem for them. I would say maybe they'd. I don't think they'd want to play Minnesota because Minnesota just has they have such good personnel that it's kind of like well if they if they, if those guys elevate man. That's the series I want. That would be so much fun to watch those two guys go one on one. Oh man, that would be, be unbelievable. Really so I think, and, and and you can we can say pretty realistically that you know they're probably not going to play like the Pelicans and the Clippers if those teams make it in. So I would say, yeah, Portland would be I would say a positive for them just because Dame can be wonderful and CJ can can be as well, but. I just I think that 
it'll be harder for them. Denver's well, I think too. Like if they play Portland, one of those guys is to guard Russ or Paul George, basically. Right. Right. They have the matchups work, so I think you feel okay with that. Yeah, I think you feel pretty good with that. And at this point, I don't think they're necessarily buying the Jazz. I think the Jazz are a really good team when they're on, and Rudy Rudy Gobert can be a difference maker. But if you're sitting there going, okay, in crunch time, we're going to have Donovan Mitchell and Russell Westbrook going at it, and Donovan Mitchell's a rookie who's not going to get any calls in the playoffs. I think they would yeah. probably feel okay about that. Yeah, and then also like those those favors go bear lineups. Like, can they move against those in the playoff series? If, if those two teams, big... if those two teams, if like let's say that's the four five, which is entirely possible, it could also be the three six. They would probably start games with Melo and Derek Favors guarding each other, which would just be so bizarre. Yeah, that'd be a pretty, pretty dramatic uh, differential right there. Anything else outside of what we've already discussed that you're really looking forward to focusing on for the next, I don't know, next few weeks, next month or so? So I'm doing a story on DeJounte Murray like next week. I feel like, I guess, I said this earlier, but it seems like he's going to have to be the guy of some of those young guys to take a step forward. So next year, they can tell Kawhi, hey, look, we got to go, go with going forward to build around you. So I'm really curious to see what DeJounte can do in a bigger role. Can like a non-shooting point guard work anymore, even in San Antonio? Like To me, that is really interesting. Even though the Spurs, who knows how good they're going to be, but I'm going to be watching that very closely. For me, there are a couple. That's definitely a good one. What Alfred Payton does with the Suns, also because that affects restricted free agency. I thought he looked pretty good when I saw him in person. He's a little bit more comfortable with his jump shot than I'd remember. And then Milwaukee. If their defense... Yeah, Milwaukee for sure. If their defense can... It, it won't be what it has been so far, just because that does rely a lot on, on what would be considered luck. But if they can be, you know, let's say a top half defense even, with the way that they've played so far, if they can be top half or even top 10 then that team becomes way scarier. And they, they could be somebody then, that puts a charge into everybody. I mean, like we were saying, like, I got to see Giannis versus LeBron in the playoff series at some point. Like, I just got to see that. Yeah. that Someone, the basketball gods, has got to arrange that to happen. In in the in terms of early round, because the one series I want to see the absolute most is Rockets-Warriors, for, for obvious reasons. But in the early round, the two series I want to see most are Cavs-Bucks, and Celtic Sixers. If I can get those, that'd be fun. That'd if I can be, get those, really fun. E- either realistically, I'd love to get both of those two series. But if I can get either one of them, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, and I think with the Bucks, what you're saying, how many minutes can Giannis play in a playoff series? Could he go to like 46? I don't know. I mean, probably not, but I would think about it if I was them. And then will he play five this year in the playoffs? That's the other kind of sitting out there. I still can't believe they didn't go with him last year at the five against Toronto, but. Because they have enough wings now where they could put him at the five realistic, especially with Jabari back. Like, it's possible. It's certainly possible. And not only with the wings, but also with they have some bigger guards. I mean, they could play Brogdon and Bledsoe together. So Brogdon, Bledsoe, Middleton... Snell or Jabari. Like, they could go with some really, really cool stuff here. And they have this unusual strength for a team that isn't a top-tier team, where they can configure their lineups with playoff-caliber players more easily than most of these. And yeah, if you need to give John Henson or Thon Maker 10 minutes in a game, that's not a big problem. I mean, I don't think you want to necessarily close with them, especially against good teams, but you can find those gaps. And so if you can get that, and just with everybody else, if they can be healthy. They have a lot of talent. They're a really, really good team. Also, uh, shout out my guy Sterling Brown. F- yeah, he he's been good this year. That guy's, a, that guy's a basketball player, man. He's good. Absolutely. Yeah, he might get some playoff minutes for them, too. They have a lot of options, but it's a possibility. He's really impressed me over the last couple weeks, especially when Brogdon went down. 
Yeah, he just has, I remember watching him in college, he's just one of those guys, he just knows, he's not super athletic, so he fell in the draft, but he just knows how to play basketball. Great shooter, strong guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes the rest of this year, and their rotations are going to be worth watching just throughout. And yeah, is this this last push, so other than the games involving those bottom eight teams and arguably the bottom ten, there's just a lot of things I want to see and learn because we've had so much turmoil this year due to injuries and due to everything else. And so, like, I don't feel set in how I in in how I'm evaluating the picture yet, which I really like. Some people would be uncomfortable with that, but I find it a lot more fun. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is so predictable. Any kind of variety is good. Anything that makes it more uncertain is much this time of year. Agreed. Well, thanks again for taking the time to come on. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one, man. Thanks again to Jonathan Charks for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read him at The Ringer. He's a staff writer there, does a whole bunch of great basketball work. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Charks, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S. And I, I love talking with John. It was great to see him. We we did some basketball without borders together. And then, of course, some of the all-star festivities and lots of different things going on the rest of this year, little less than two months left. And there's a reason to be interested in where almost everybody is for right now, just because of how close the bottom is. And then, you know, the top is still sorting itself out. I mean, we have it looks like kind of two top teams in each conference, but then a lot going on there. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. If you want more on the tanking dynamic, you can, of course, I'll talk about it here too. But Nate Duncan and I did a full podcast, or most of a full podcast, on that for Dunked On, previewing it for the rest of the season. That was our episode that came out on Thursday night. And, you know, it'll, of course, with 15 and 16, everything like that, it will be a point of discussion moving forward. And can also check out i'm thrilled that we're a part of the podcast one network i did jay moore's excellent lakers podcast had a lot of fun on that we talked about the lakers for a while but then we also talked about a bunch of other things and if you want to hear me you know it's it was a a little bit of a different format was fun because it was in person and I, i do really enjoy that you can check that out I've tweeted about it a couple times. Jay's tweeted about it a couple times. And also Podcast One, of course, it's a great place to, to check all that. I believe it's called America's Lakers Podcast and had a blast absolutely doing that. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's iTunes, just as the nature of it. If you really want to support the show, go into iTunes and, and rate and review it there because it's still such a big part of our industry. You can also subscribe, download every episode. Those are huge for ratings and everything like that in terms of the, the rankings and all that stuff. And it really does help to just have it. And with a show like this, subscribing is very useful because it doesn't come out on a specific day. So you can't just go, oh, you know, it's going to pop in at this point. That's not the nature of the show. And as long as I'm editing it, it's always going to be a little bit fluid with that, of course, with guest availability as well. So you can do that. And then, of course, the biggest way that you can always do this is to check out our sponsors. And so for this episode, that is BetDSI. You can check, get ready for the Million Dollar Bracket Challenge. You can also use the MADGM, M-A-D-G-M promo code for a 200% member bonus, which is awesome. Again, the promo code is MADGM, M-A-D-G-M. And you can also check out TrueCar for new and used cars. It's pretty amazing what what they're working on now. I I get excited with technology and hopefully I'm not going to need a car for a while. I I really love the car I have, but if I do, TrueCar is going to be where I go with it. And as always, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I cannot promise that I will respond because I have a lot, but I do read it and you'll have to take that on faith. But if you know me, and I I do respond to a lot, I just don't respond to everything. So... 
I think that's about it for now. Don't really have a necessary plan for next week. Oh, I guess you can also follow my my written work. I talked about dunked on my written work at The Athletic, at Real GM, of course. Going to try to do a Basketball Without Borders piece this weekend, maybe even on Friday. And then Sporting News, when something comes up, I did some trade deadline stuff for them. Just, just between those three places. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Danny LaRue, and catch up on all that. And this is going to be a fun push. I'm really going to enjoy it. I'm very excited about it. And I'm thankful for all of you who have been a part of the ride. You can also check out the Duncan LaRue Patreon with some of our additional stuff. We're going to do a mailbag in the next couple days and some other cool stuff. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of fun on Carnival. Riding Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, Brian got thunderstruck so hard, his 93-year-old grandmother felt it 3,000 miles away in Nebraska and immediately booked a cruise. Hooray! Get thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. You're not alone. It's the time of year where everybody starts talking about slimming down. And it's tough. Let the Skin Center help you with a jump start on your goals with Cool Sculpting Elite. This new and improved fat-eliminating treatment is FDA cleared to treat nine areas of the body, including your stomach, arms, chin, back, and more. Some common side effects include temporary numbness, swelling, and discomfort. Start now to be swimsuit ready by summer. DM at the Skin Center MD on Instagram and mention promo code Abby to get 50% off eight cool sculpting elite treatments or more.